This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hey everyone, welcome to the new episode of Dune Talk, the official show of DuneNewsNet.com. If you love Dune, this is the place to be. Since Dune came out in uh, 2021, the movie's version of Chani, as portrayed by Zendaya, has been a hot topic of discussion online. Today we'll be addressing some questions relating to her character, uh, plus a couple of movie and gaming news updates. This is Marcus Gabriel, your editor at DuNewsNet.com. And before the others sign in, I wanted to take this opportunity to shout out all our new subscribers and also thank you for helping us pass 1,000 on YouTube. Whether you're watching there on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast app, our team really appreciates you. Hey, this is Garen. It's good to be back. Um, really do appreciate all the support, and it's a milestone for us to pass the thousand mark on YouTube. So thank you for all your support. And I'm really excited to talk about this question that came from one of our viewers, um, which is a really interesting topic, and I'm excited to talk to the guys about it. Hey everyone, Johnny Sobchak here again. Uh, excited to get the latest episode up. It's been a little while since we've been together. And yes, the topic this week is a, an exciting one. And one I'm very curious to hear, especially from Garen and Marcus, who are a little bit more of the uh, textual experts, um, kind of hearing their input. And um, thank you for joining us. And as Marcus said, yes, thank you all for the continued support and hitting the milestones and getting more and more excited as Hopefully, fingers crossed, part two is is uh, not too far away uh, by this point. Cool. Let's start with a quick movie news story. Dune movie news. So with the Actors Union strike still ongoing, it's been as quiet as the deep desert. No interviews or any form of social media updates from the movie stars. Fortunately, some things were recorded before the strike started, and the This Is Purdue uh, podcast published their interview with Stephen McKinley Henderson. His character, Tufer Howard, didn't make any appearance in the last two trailers, so it's good to see a bit of him um, talking about the movie. Uh, the actor praised uh, Dune Part 2's great international cast and filmmaker Denis Villeneuve, and he said that fans should get ready for a fabulous, fabulous journey. Uh, his highlight, though, of the second movie was working with Austin Butler. Here's one of Henderson's comments from the interview. And Austin was so nice to me, because I had a medical emergency during the shooting and I had to go away. And when I came back, he played a character that was not very happy with me at all. And he was quite chilling. And I was giving him back the looks. But when they say cut, he would come over to me and say, Mr. Henderson, are you okay? Can I help you? Can I get you anything? Uh, Johnny, in the previous episodes, you speculated on whether Fade will have multiple personas in the film. It certainly sounds like that's something that Butler <laughs> is uh, strong at. <laughs> what do you make of this interaction between the two actors? Yeah, so it's a it's a fun, fun story. And I always love hearing the behind the scenes interactions. And I think that uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson in particular, he's a very, you know, he's a veteran actor, of course, and, um, you know, one of kind of the elder statesmen in the cast. And I also got to recognize or I'll do kind of a little shout out because he's a, a University of North Carolina School of the Arts alum. Um, that's my girlfriend, Reagan. That's that's her alma mater. She's a drama uh, major there as well. And go Pickles. But um, uh, Stephen McKinley Anderson, I think uh, he, he's very, very likable. And I haven't seen him in that many um, projects, uh, frankly, but he's you know been around for years. And um, I think he you know, he's seen a lot of different actors and, and he's obviously come up kind of through the system. And, um, I think, you know, so far everything that we've heard and kind of just even from Elvis, you know, last year and, 
and through, you know, the promotional tour and Tom Hanks interviews and Baz Luhrmann and Denis Villeneuve, Chalamet, all those different people that have kind of been around Austin Butler and, and uh, been working with them. I think it's always kind of a similar uh, energy that you kind of uh, sense in their interactions. And he seems just, you know, obviously we ne can never really know what he's like, but he just seems very, you know, down to earth and pretty, uh, you know, likable. And, uh, and I think that this story just kind of, again, furthers that. And it's, it's funnier in this story because, of course, we have the the, the contrast between Fade Ralph, though, who's supposed to be this, you know, absolutely detestable uh, maniac. And then you have Austin Butler, who between takes is, you know, he's clearly not the uh, method actor uh, in this. He's just kind of breaking character and talking to uh, Steven. So I, I thought this was a really, a really fun story. And and that's, again, it's one of the benefits. It's one of the nice things about promotional tours and, and actors getting to participate in that is not just the promotion, obviously, to help the film, but also the the great stories and anecdotes and and moments that you get to hear about that, you know, never really get to maybe capture otherwise. Um, so fingers crossed again, as you were saying, hopefully we get more, more of these kind of stories and Stephen McKinley Henderson. I think the other great thing about this story is that it gives us a little bit more insight to, you know, through fear having a, you know, maybe a bigger role than maybe in part one and at least being present, um, in some key scenes and maybe some certain subplots and things like that, that book readers will be familiar with. So that's also uh, promising. Yeah, and, and I, I'd assume he's he's talking about the the scene maybe before or after the, the arena scene. So after he he realizes that Two Fear, you know, was 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 not uh, giving him all the all the information, and then afterwards he's going to Two Fear, you know, what what was that? What was going on? I can imagine that that that's that's that scene afterwards. <laughs> so next, uh, let's dive into our special discussion topic for today. The Landsraad High Council is now in session. We know that uh, Chani will be one of the main characters in Doom Part Two. And this brings up interesting questions of how Villeneuve wrote her role for the adaptation. On our trailer to reaction episode, uh, at Samuel Proudlove3774 commented on YouTube, would be interesting to hear your guys' thoughts on Chani seemingly not being on board with Paul's mission. There are several moments in the trailer where it seems like she does not support him and is looking at him like he is a monster. I'm very concerned about this considering nothing like this is mentioned in the book as far as I can remember. So that got me thinking about how so much of the footage and lines from Shawnee, both in the in the first movie, although she wasn't in there like a whole much, but uh, and also in part two's trailers, th this is largely original to the movie. Whether it's that first scene in the first movie where she's uh, you know leading the Fremen in, in in battle and giving the narration, or um, in the latest trailer too, with her stating almost defensively, "I won't be fighting for him. I'm fighting for my my people." Uh, Garen, as a longtime book reader, how do you feel so far about how Villeneuve is expanding the character? Are you concerned by anything you've seen or heard in the trailer? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm concerned yet. Um, as I've said many times before, I do have a lot of faith in Villeneuve and his creative sensibilities. But um, I did go back and, and do a little bit of homework. And I, I watched uh, the scene at the end of part one uh, where Jessica and Paul are captured. And I remember the first time in the theater, uh, and at the first viewing of that film, when when Chani just immediately says, "You know, you're not the Mati. You're," she just says it straight out. And and I I remember something in me because I've read the book enough times. Something went, "Hey, that's that's a little different," you know. Um, but of course, I was you know just totally enraptured with the whole thing. Um, and then to now see in, in both these trailers for part two, this emphasis on her 
doubting and and kind of going through and expressing her her un, uncertainty about who who Paul really is. So when I was going back and and watching those two trailers and then seeing the emphasis that uh, they chose to include in those trailers of Chani, I think three or four times emphasizing that you know I don't know if I believe in you I don't and 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 even Paul says to Chani you know do you believe in me and so um, I did go back and 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 search through the the, the original novel and um, I I don't know that I found every reference or every time Chani says <laughs> something to Paul but. I didn't find anything that kind of lends itself to that being the case or that that was Frank Herbert's original idea with Chani doubting. Maybe maybe there's some some insinuation there that I missed, but um but I I'm not concerned and and I I'd, I'd like to hear from the two of you before I I sort of give you my thoughts on why I think this actually might work better for the audience. I'll go ahead and break up the uh, two experts here and give my my own interpretation. I haven't read the book recently. I haven't combed the texts uh, as of late, but I think from the couple of readings that I have done of the novel in the last few years, and and also of course the many times I've seen the first film and what I've seen in the trailers probably a dozen times each, is that there is definitely I think a difference between the Chani of the novel and the Chani that we're getting in the movie um, or movies in this case. I do think that Villeneuve, I think he is, yes, I, as Garen said, I certainly trust his sensibilities and his creative kind of license, uh, I guess you could say. Um, not everything is, you know, you know, a slavish recreation of what's in the actual novel. Um, he does take some different liberties and, and make some changes, you know, for different reasons. I do think that one of the the things that you know what that he's kind of indicated in his interviews going back to part one and maybe more recently since part one came out and in, in, in production of part two is that basically kind of as Jessica was the protagonist in part one, Chani's role is going to be more to the the front uh, in part two. And I think an element of that, I think that you almost have to change from you know what I recall of the book versus what we're seeing in the movie is, I think, and this is something you could say is a criticism of Dune as the novel or as the character of Chani, is that she kind of has, it's almost like a literal, <laughs> like, manic pixie dream girl situation <laughs> happening where, you know, she's literally in this boy's visit, visions and then she comes forward and she's basically in love with him kind of right off the bat and and um, she's taken by him and and it's this partnership and it's not like, coercive or there's not anything like a sinister like undertone to it necessarily but it's just kind of there and like you don't question the relationship but they're just that there's just this natural I guess you could say chemistry between them um where I think I think Villeneuve you know whether you agree with this or not and maybe whether this is accurate or not but my thinking is that perhaps he's trying to add more of an internal conflict to Chani, which is going to become an external conflict potentially to some degree between her and whether it's her and Paul to some extent, maybe her and, and Jessica. Um, I just think that Chani isn't going to just kind of fall in line and like come to the wayside and be like, okay, like I guess Paul's going to take over now and we're just going to go ahead and do everything like they said. Um, it seems like she's going to be a little bit more combative in terms of 
him coming into this position of power and, and Jessica being involved with that transition, you know, to some degree, obviously we see in the trailer and the edit is hard to tell. It's always kind of tricky, but it seems like Chani's, uh, you know, calling into question the, um, this myth or this, this prophecy. And Jessica says to Paul, you know, we try to give them hope. And Paul says, that's not hope. And so it's almost like there's this, it's like a triangle almost between Chani and Jessica and Paul. And you could even, I guess, I guess I would say or predict that maybe Stilgar is going to be involved in, in that kind of conflict to some degree as well. Um, with, you know, who's actually in control? Where is the prophecy? Where is this message coming from? How are the Fremen supposed to react or interpret it? Stilgar's probably going to interpret it and then react one way, Chani another, and and the way Jessica has to, you know, navigate the situation versus how Paul is going to be conf maybe more conflicted and navigate the situation. So I think it's a way to, whatever is going to end up happening with Chani as a character, I think is a way to maybe add a little bit more texture, or I guess you could say depth, for lack of a better term, to the characterizations and also the conflict and I guess how the Fremen have a role in this changing of of control that they're they're going to experience i think if you went about it and just had her be kind of like you know a doe in the wood kind of response to it it'd be a little i think there probably you probably get more criticism of that nowadays of course um in a film like this than you would with a novel from 1965 but whether that's actually the case remains to be seen but that's my inclination um just with what we have so far which again could be a little misleading may not have the full picture but that's uh, what I think is probably where this is heading. Yeah, I think that there, there are two two things uh, to that, and like um, one is what what Villeneuve has has mentioned. I think you were referring to that, uh, Johnny. Like he he said in multiple interviews that you know like uh, Chani is is one of the main characters. Of course, not the main character. I remember there was a whole whole misunderstanding about that. Like when when that interview first first came out because of the language, uh, but yeah, she she's um, a very important character um, in the movie. And he talked about how Zendaya is an actor who who really deeply inspires him and that he increased her role even in the first movie. Like we didn't see a whole lot of her in the first movie, but he, even that apparently like he decided to put more of her than, than initially planned. Like if you look in, in the book, like Chani is, is there in, in some, some important scenes, but there's not a huge amount of material, right? Like especially when, when they first meet uh, Paul. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, conversation, a lot of the introduction. We we see a lot of her. Uh, then we see see her again in the sandworm uh, riding scene, um, and then we see her more towards the the water of life scene. But other than that, like we we don't get to see much of of her. Like, and especially we don't get to see her her perspective a lot. So I think the fact that if she's going to be be a main character in the film, then you do have to expand her role in in some way. Um, but then going to the to the point about is is her character uh, changing or like uh, does she she doubt in the prophecy? Like going back to the original comment. So yeah, I, I also did some some going back to the book, and Chani indeed has no lines or thoughts in the book indicating that she doesn't believe Paul's a prophet. Like there there, there just isn't anything, at least in the, in, the, in the first book. Um, there is one pertinent um, uh, line though. It's, it's not something that she says, but it's very near the the end and like if you don't want spoilers for the end of the, the first book then maybe skip ahead like 30 seconds um but like when paul talks about how they would threaten the guild by destroying the spice so using the change water of life to to go to the spice blows and start a chain reaction and destroy the worm cycle and everything uh chani is described as putting a hand to her mouth 
shocked to numb silence by the blasphemy pouring from Paul's lips. That that's that's really the only indication in the first book that we get that she she might be, you, you know, concerned with with some aspect of the prophecy. Other than that, it's it's like you were saying, Johnny. She's she's like she's right on board from from the from the beginning. So it, it does seem like that there are some uh, some some differences there. With with, with that in, in mind, um, Garen, would you say that what what we've seen of her in the movie it feels that she's a different character in the, from the book? Would you agree with that? No, no, I don't. I don't feel like she's a different character. I feel like she's she's Chani. Um, I relate to her the same way I always have by being a fan of the book. Um, I, I don't want to take anything away from from uh, the respect that I have for for Vilnev by saying this, but I remember many years ago learning that Peter Jackson was going to emphasize the Aragorn and Arwen storyline in Lord of the Rings. And similar to Dune, I had also read Lord of the Rings many times as a teenager. And, and I remember hearing that and being really worried about that, being almost doubting the whole project at that point, because the Fellowship of the Ring had not come out yet. And, and watching how that introduced uh, an element to the story that actually became very satisfying uh, as as a as a moviegoer and, and a fan of that of that trilogy um and so i i wonder sometimes and, and i'm not a filmmaker but i wonder if sometimes there are things that need to be emphasized to to complete a visual storyline um <clears throat> because i've heard many times that a book is a very different experience. It may be the exact same story, just as we're experiencing with Dune, but it it's an adaptation and it's a vision and it's a different experience. And and so, I I don't believe she's a different character. I just believe what Villeneuve is doing is adding a dimension to her that creates a, a really interesting perspective for us as the audience, because we were told. And, and sometimes I have to look at uh, the part one from the perspective of someone who's never seen it, or rather someone who's never read the book before. And when you're watching that film, immediately uh, when they first land on Arrakis, when the Atreides land on Arrakis and, and Jessica and Paul are in the ornithopter, they're, they're going to Arakeen, and she explains to him that this is a myth. This is this was planted by the Bene Gesserit, right? And Paul is is disturbed by that. He's irritated by that. And so I know that the first time watcher of the film might not miss that because it's a very layered film, right? There's a lot going on. But immediately the audience is introduced to the fact that this this storyline or this myth that has been planted is a form of manipulation, right? So we as the audience know this. And, and then with subsequent viewings of part one, uh, you, you're reminded of that fact. So in part two, we have this really interesting dynamic going on between what appears to be Stilgar, who is a believer, right? So that, that brief clip where Stilgar says something to the effect of, you know, I, I believe in him like this. Um, and so in, in a situation like that, you are going to have some of those people that were born under this myth. They were raised with this. And now they're seeing these indicators of Paul and Jessica and all the signs that this myth is real. But in fact, we know as the audience that it's not entirely real, 
It was planted. It was it was contrived. And so I just think it's it adds a new layer of dimension between the Paul and Chani relationship to have her seeing him as a vulnerable human, not as a prophet or a god, and and to have that be a part of their relationship because there mm. there's going to be more emphasis not only on Chani and her character but also on her relationship with Paul. So. Um, I, I, I try to not think of it kind of like what you were alluding to, Johnny, that in this day and age, um, you know, we, we have very strong women uh, heroes and, and characters. And I, and I hope this wasn't, you know, just a, uh, a tip of the hat to that pattern. I, I, I hope that this was done in a way that could create a really interesting dynamic and help to emphasize the relationship of Paul and Chani but also to help us also see through the eyes of those who would be skeptical and 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 kind of see this as not being entirely all that it appears to be that that mm -hmm. Paul is the prophet and he is the prophecy he is the Huizat mm -hmm. you know so i i like that i think it's balanced and and mm -hmm. so i'm 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 really supportive of it i i think garen um i'm really glad i i think you have really good insights there and i think that um Particularly, you you uh, kind of touch on something that I was also thinking earlier today when I was thinking about what I was uh, I was going to say in this episode, and that was that ultimately it's important that Chani has certain characteristics that are accurate to what's in the book or what makes Chani Chani. So she's strong, she's a capable warrior. Um, you know, she's one of kind of the leading Fremen figures, um, and then you know that's that's her own character. Now, how that character is in relation to other characters is something else. So how she is, you know, as a companion or a partner to Paul, for example, um, that is important. But what I guess I'm getting at is that it's important that she still loves Paul and that she has some sort of support for Paul, ultimately. However, she doesn't need to be just along for the ride. She doesn't just need to kind of not have any sort of mixed emotions or anything like that. I think what's happening that again, and there's this, this isn't a, isn't a fault to the book. Um, again, this is just something I think in terms of adaptation and moving something from text to film and, and, uh, and doing the adaptation processes, how do you make things, I guess, more palatable and when you're breaking it up and, and kind of making key character moments and having everything make sense. I think having Chani have more of an internal conflict I think makes the story, frankly, it makes it a lot more tragic because instead of someone who's just along for the ride and is kind of, um, again, just almost not mindlessly, but is just so dedicated and um, overwhelmingly kind of uh, in service of Paul, basically, as this new kind of, you know, Messiah figure, essentially, having her have this conflict of well i do love paul and i do want to help him and i i, I want to you know work with him to save the fremen and 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 you know take down the empire and all these different things like i think that is important but it's almost more interesting and more tragic that it's all in the same breath it sounds like at least based on the trailers that she is so she recognizes that this prophecy is going to cause the downfall of the Fremen, almost like Paul realizes. Now, Paul has his his prescience, which allows him to kind of see this outcome. 
but it's almost like because and again this is kind of more speculation because we haven't seen the movie yet but like chani being so close to paul and and knowing the prophecy and and knowing kind of maybe having almost some idea of what paul is seeing um realizes that it's going to be ultimately to the detriment of the fremen even if they're able to get out from under the boot of the emperor um and the harkonnens and, and these different oppressive forces i think that it's just going to be a very like and i think zendaya from what i've seen of her performance so far in the trailers i think she is doing a good job of portraying someone who is like having these mixed feelings and she obviously you can tell like she's very much in love with paul which we're going to see that relationship kind of really develop in this movie but you also see her like angry and like having like almost like uh, uh confusion on her face in some instances so and and also we have to acknowledge and I, I don't know how, we're, how much we're getting into spoilers, but she's going to go through some very traumatic <laughs> incidents in this film, which could push her over the edge, even in a situation where she recognizes where things could ultimately go in the grander scheme for her own personal reasons, for her own, again, similar to Paul, she chooses to kind of go down this path anyway. She knows who Paul is and who he could become, but she's going to be with him and love him and support him anyway. And again, I think that just, it adds a little bit more, I think, richness in terms of the, that relationship and and overall Chani's place in the story, if if we think of it or approach it from that, that angle or that thinking, which again, speculation, limited knowledge, but I think that's what Villeneuve might be going for just based off of what we've seen. Argue that Chani's character does feel different uh, in, in a way from in the, in the movie compared to the book, but that's not necessarily... A bad thing as uh, you know you've both made some uh, some good points there um but like looking at some of the the, the evidence of, of that like um in the book uh before the jamas fight uh chani gives paul advice of how to fight with with jamas so she says okay jamas has a, a habit of turning to the right after a parry and he can fight with both hands so you know <laughs> look out for a knife shift uh in the movie she hands him a chris knife so that he can die with honor and talk about how Jamas <laughs> will give him a quick death, you know? Uh, uh, so it, it definitely is a very different feeling, at, le at least, you know, as, as a viewer and someone who's read the book so many times, I mean, like it, it makes sense in a way, but it, it is a very different feeling. Um, and then going back to, um, yeah, we, we, we've mentioned, mentioned that like in, in the book, there, there's no indication that she, she's not on board with, with a prophecy. Uh, so I think indeed, I'd say that the, um, the movie version of, of Chinese character does have some significant uh, differences, but I guess the, the most important question from my perspective, and maybe, well, I, we, we can't really answer that now without having seen uh, the entirety of Dune Part 2, is uh, what what is Villeneuve's goals behind those changes? Like, is it to tie in with the themes of, of Dune? As mentioned, when you're reading the book, there, there's all this uh, subtext, you're going to people's minds, there's a lot of description. And that makes it very clear that, you know, something's going on here. Something's not right with, with this prophecy. There's, there's something terrible going to happen. And when it comes on screen, you, you can't really convey that. So having uh, Chani be the way that, like, the viewers can can relate to that, like, that, that totally make, makes sense. So I hope that mm. that's what he's going for. And um, likewise, the point about Villeneuve, he has read later books as well. And like, as mentioned, he's he hopes to adopt uh, Dune Messiah as well, where, where Chani is an important uh, character. And, and there we get to see more of, of Chani's character. And I do feel like when you look at Messiah, that her character is much more developed there. So he may be bringing some of that perspective already into, into the first movie. I, I think you make a really a really great point that um, you, you could, like you've said, say that 
Chani is a is a different character in the movie and and plays a, a different role. Um, I think what I was trying to express is it still feels like Chani to me. I I still place her in my mind as the role that I remember from the book. But let, let's be honest. Um, it, it's it's a long time since 1965, and and so when you do an adaptation, there are things that that have to be um, updated, as it were, or 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 more relatable. Like I I don't. This is something I brought up before on the podcast, but um, at the very at, in the end scenes of part one, uh, when Jessica and Paul are are going through the desert alone. Um, I think it's a couple of times as they're getting their gear on and their, their still suits and their gear, and, and Paul just turns to Jessica and he says, "Are you good?" And and that's not a phrase that you would say in 1965. You know, you would say, <laughs> "Are you well?" or "Are you okay?" You know, but "Are you good?" is a phrase that like everyone says now, right? My kids all say that. "Are you good?" <laughs> and so I really think it's it's also there could be an element of of just you know making making sure that her character plays a more prominent and more uh, influential role in in the character in the character development uh, of Paul and and is not a secondary background character um and and I think I think it would have been a big mistake to to have kept her as a less prominent uh a a more a more stoic, less involved character. I think that would have been a missed opportunity. So I like the fact um, that that she's being emphasized this way. Um, and then Marcus, the, the point that that you made, uh, and I I have read this about uh, the advantage of reading a book is you do and 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 you do know the character's thoughts. And Frank Herbert especially does that when he writes because the italicized text is the thoughts of the character. And, and that is impossible sometimes to, to depict on screen in a way that doesn't feel uh, really weird. It's like with the, the original cut of Blade Runner um, had the, <laughs> the voiceover of, of Harrison Ford going, that was, that was the way, that, that's the way it originally was shown in the theaters. And then later in a subsequent uh, uh, change, uh, Ridley Scott eliminated that because to him he never wanted it in the first place because that's a he called it a really cheap way of getting into the the mind of the character and and so Villeneuve knows that um, he, he's a master of this art form so he's going to find a way like you were saying Marcus to show us those think those thoughts it, imagine that you know this were a story taking place in in 2023 between a man and a woman who are falling in love and this man is having prescient visions of the future and people are following him like a prophet <laughs> the the woman in that relationship is going to be like are you <laughs> like is this what are you doing you know that's real like that's that's yeah. honest and and accurate and so i think villeneuve might be kind of trying to inject some of those more relatable, realistic elements into this story because she's in love with him. But when you're in love with someone, you also show your vulnerabilities, right? And so, and so Chani is going to see some of this and she's going to be like, I don't really know if you're what all these people think you are, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
<laughs> and I feel like all this discussion and theorizing and, and analysis is just making me so much more excited for the movie because I think, you know, obviously I think we're all pretty optimistic and and uh, uh, have high hopes as to what it's going to end up being. And I think if it's anything kind of like what we're getting at, um, even if it's different from the novel, um, or, you know, in nature of adaptation, if it's not exactly what fans are expecting or maybe hoping for. Um, I think it'll still be at least very interesting and offer some um, something different because, yeah, in the in terms of updating something or adapting something, I think that uh, throwing in different elements and changing certain characteristics or um, uh, relationships and dynamics, as long as it's still true to the essence of of what the book represents and what the characters represents, I think that that's great, and it gives us something new from the world and from these characters that maybe we wouldn't have thought of before made connections with before because we're getting it in a new medium and i think that uh to this chani question that that um you know one of our viewers raised is just a great example of something just one thing from this adaptation um with this one particular character that i think is there could be so many different possibilities and we still have to see obviously the final final product but um yeah it's uh it's really exciting i think you know for me personally, as somebody who's only read the book a couple of times, haven't read it in multiple years, and um, and and frankly, more of a movie fan, and I would say a Denis Villeneuve fan than I am, uh, you know, maybe a Dune fan on its own. I'm, you know, I'll be the first to say that I maybe was not crazy about Chani just as a character in the novel. Like it was like, oh, Chani is like my favorite character, like one of the most interesting characters to me. It was always Paul and Jessica and and uh, you know Duncan and and some of my other favorites. But I think what they're doing with this and of course seeing it on screen and in in flesh and everything is just so different. And Zendaya, you know, I think is is a you know very talented actor. I think it's just going to give us something again different, or at least something for me that I think um maybe as you were saying Gary maybe a little bit more relatable or something that I can kind of really latch on to um in a way that and then again not to knock the book or the character of Chani on the page or anything because that's its own thing but just something different and and uh that we can still appreciate um and get ultimately what what we get in the novel what the ultimate overall message is what the themes are and what the uh, conclusion really of this story in this first novel is um, I think that's really just the most important thing. I, and again, that's where I trust Villeneuve to really stick the landing, no matter what he tinkers with kind of on the way to the conclusion. We, we do see more of more of Chani in the in Messiah. And there, there's something that we, we learn about her also later later on in the series without giving any spoilers. So if, if uh, Villeneuve is in a way sort of foreshadowing towards towards those those things and as mentioned like using this change in her character as, as it were like to strengthen the, the overall themes of, of the story then uh th then i think that, that that would make sense but yeah we'll, we'll we'll have to watch the final final movie and i'm sure there will be some some hot discussion when when the movie comes out I, i'm i'm remembering the, the part where um where we see uh, lady jessica in the first movie going through the through the corridor and you can like see that she's visibly distressed uh, and I remember a lot of people criticized Gosh. that because they, they were saying, you know, like, yeah. you know, Ben would, wouldn't show emotions, but like, how, how else would you show that on, on screen? You know, I guess th th those are the considerations that you have to take when you're going across medium. So I guess I, yeah. I challenge maybe to people to think like, maybe the story doesn't necessarily have to be updated. Maybe, maybe that's not the right word, but you do have to sort of uh, translate it in, into a, a new medium um, as, mm -hmm. as it were. 
but I, I just I just want to shout out to to our viewer that that uh, gave us this question because this is an incredibly great question mm. to ask because this is why I love the Dune franchise so much because one question about one character what's <laughs> it conversations for 45 minutes and, and just I, I just love that. Yeah, good, good discussion. And I'm sure we, we could probably go on for another 45 minutes. <laughs> a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure we'll we'll explore this, this topic more when the movie does come out uh, and uh, revisit this. Uh, for now, let's uh, jump quickly to our last segment. The Duneverse. Books, comics, games, collectibles, and more. We got a few pieces of uh, gaming news out of Gen Con earlier this month. Uh, Gale Force 9 is releasing a third house expansion for the classic Dune board game, Dune, a game of conquest, diplomacy, and betrayal. This expansion adds two new factions, House of Chaos and House Moritani. Including the base game and earlier expansions, uh, players now have the choice of 12 different factions to take control of. So in addition to the new factions, this expansion does add multiple new game mechanics. So there's one mechanic called Homeworlds, and that basically allows players to raid homeworlds home of other houses and destroy their spice stockpiles. Uh, and that and the other features can be added to any game, even if you don't use one of those two new factions. Uh, so Garen, I know you've been a huge fan of this, this board game, even long before Gale Force 9 reissued it in 2019. Uh, are you looking forward to expanding your next gaming session? This game is not for the faint of heart. Uh, it's not <laughs> as complex as the war games of the 1970s, uh, which I was uh, fortunate enough to play with some of my friend's older brothers when I was really young, probably far too young to be playing war games. But um, but it is, it is complex, uh, I guess, like the story, right? It's very layered, faints within faints, um, plans within plans. But... Adding an, another two factions with some new adjustments to the rules, um, I would think this would make it extremely fun to play. So, so Johnny, I, I know that that you haven't had an opportunity to play this game yet, but when you have a group of, I think the largest group I've, I've played this original Dune game with, uh, which did not include the expansion that you've talked that that you just introduced us to, Marcus, but I think we had six six maybe seven people playing and wow. it was really exciting because that game has a way of actually creating the same uh intrigue and political <laughs> sort of espionage that's in the book and two two or three of the people that were playing with us weren't even board game people like they 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 maybe kind of knew a little bit about the dune story and i think maybe one of them one of them had seen lynch's movie but I just did a really quick basic intro and everybody really got into it and 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 there was alliances and people were trying to manipulate and 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 fool the other factions and I I was really amazed at cuz I before then I had always played it with about four people that was about as many people as I had ever played it with through the years and so playing with playing with even more and now you can even add more with this expansion I just think it's it's a game that's really going to last through the years because it creates an experience between the players that is pretty hard to create in in board games, um, and 
If you're a Dune fan, it's even more fun because you understand why that character has that advantage or why that house um, is weak in that area. You know, to someone who who doesn't know the Dune lore, to them it's just okay. So, so my faction, the Ixians, they have a they have a weakness and a strength here. Okay, I accept that. But to those of us that know the story, it's like, oh, that's cool because I know that faction <laughs> history behind that. So um, I, I just am really a fan. And I, I guess my, my only hesitation might be if you're adding now another expansion with layered uh, or additional rules to layer in, um, it, it might be a little bit challenging to kind of get used to that. But to real fans of this game, they're going to they're going to figure it out and and it's going to add an even more rich dimension to to the interaction of these players in this in this game so yeah we'll have to plan a, a team game at uh, at some point yeah we should because it would be fun because <laughs> we would be able to analyze it even you johnny would be able to analyze it from the perspective <laughs> of i know what that means you know yeah, and that, that's not the, the only game getting an expansion. Uh, so Dire Wolf announced Dune Imperium Uprising, uh, and that's a new standalone expansion to Dune Imperium. And this is tying into Dune Part 2, and we've seen some really nice artwork um, from there that's inspired by the upcoming movie. Um, Dune Imperium, like in case you haven't played that, it's a tabletop game uh, combining elements of both card uh, deck building and uh, placements on the map. Uh, and I know a lot of you in the community who've who've played the game really enjoyed it. Um, so the, the cool thing, as mentioned, this is a standalone expansion, so it can be played by itself. And it also now supports up to six players. I know that the original version supported up to four players and it can be mixed and matched with the base game or the earlier expansions. So as, as mentioned, you can put it together in any way you want. You don't have to buy all of them. Um, Garen, I haven't played this this game yet. You have played the original Dune Imperium, right? Like what's, I guess I the- the big difference between this Dune Imperium and I guess uh, the classic Duneborn game. Well, and I don't know if this is a fair comparison because um, I played Dune Imperium uh, probably only about a year ago uh, with just one friend of mine who is a, a huge board game collector. Uh, he literally has over a thousand board games, if you can believe that. <laughs> and and so he he said, I really want to play this with you, Garen, because I know you're a big Dune fan. And um I'll be honest, I it, it took me a little bit to catch on to the rules and the gameplay, but but as I got into it, I, I got used to it. And it does, it has an interesting combination of deck building. Um it, it's more it's more conceptual and symbolic than the original Dune game that we just got done talking about. Um it's not as sort of literal with a map of of Arrakis or anything like that. It's it's more uh you know sort of conceptual in what kind of battles and placement of your the power of your armies and and you do use special abilities uh you know Benny Gesserit special abilities uh, other factions um but as I got into it and I think we played it for probably an hour and a half until until one of us uh won and once I was about three quarters of the way into it I was really a fan like I I was like I'm really catching on to this, and this is really fast-paced. It's turn-based, but it's really fast. It really moves along because you're making a lot of decisions in a pretty short period of time. So adding an expansion, which is uh, is really interesting, um, I'd, I'd be curious to see kind of what that does to the gameplay time um, and then what kind of 
uh, aspect that would add to adding more players. Because again, I only played it with one other person, which was very enjoyable, but I really liked the dynamics of many players in a, in a board game. Yeah, I guess one interesting aspect already from, from the first version of the game is that you could even play it alone because there, there's an app that comes with the game. So you could play it as, as a solo game session against the, the AI or uh, uh, the, the app in, in a way. So it's uh, it's quite flexible in, in what different situations. Uh, but in addition to, the, to this tabletop version, um, Dune Imperium is also getting a video game adaptation. So that's going to be the third um, new Dune video game in the past uh, couple of years. Uh, so this will um, start with content from the base game, and then they're going to be planned to add those additional expansions uh, in the future. And this version will allow for online events, leagues, tournaments. Um, it's available now on, on Steam for if you want to put it on your wish list. And they said it uh, should be available in Q4, so I guess also around the, the time that the movie comes out. Uh, so I guess, Johnny, one, one question uh, relevant for you. If you haven't had an opportunity to play your physical copy, does a digital version make it more convenient to, to try? <laughs> For me, not necessarily. As a matter of fact, I'd probably prefer to step away from a screen and <laughs> and, and do something with cards or a, a board or dice or whatever the case may be. Um, so I do need to take it upon myself to actually play Dune Imperium. I do have it. I think I have had it for like almost two years now from Christmas 2021. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to I will I will do it before year's end, uh, at least so. Uh, I'm excited, and the game sounded like a lot of fun. I think in particular, I almost prefer with Dune. I think I like the tactile kind of physical uh, board game style, especially when you have multiple players or many players, as Garen was saying. It just adds to the the intrigue and like the uh, the deception. I think all that's like really fun. So um, I almost think Dune lends itself more to that, um, at least in in these games we've been talking about. So I'll definitely be on the lookout, and I will. I will play some some Dune Imperium here sooner than later. Great. Uh, so that's our, our show for today. Um, so before we, we sign off, just want to give a big shout, of course, to, to Simon. He wasn't uh, joining us for, for today, but he'll be joining in future episodes. But in, in addition to being a co-host of the, the show, he does the, the editing a great job all, all the time. So uh, thanks, thanks, Simon, and looking forward to the next uh, episode. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, close. Thanks, guys. I'll see you soon. Back to the editing room. Thank you, everyone, once again for watching the show and, and joining us today. It's Johnny Sobchak here. You can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram, all that good stuff at Johnny Sobchak. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking just now, how many episodes do we have left between now and when Dune Part 2 comes out? Hopefully it's not more than a handful. That's my <laughs> that's my wishful thinking. But uh, it's going to be a fun ride. Plenty more to talk about. And we'll have uh, you know more episodes coming your way soon. So thanks again. Hey, it's Garen, uh, Garen at Dune Companion uh, on Twitter. I I really enjoy going deep into this stuff uh, with the team here, and just really appreciate the interaction and the question again that was asked uh, that we that we highlighted and talked about today, and just really appreciate all the support of everyone. Uh, it really feels good to connect with with true Dune fans out there, and and we know that's who you are. So thank you. Yeah, and this is uh, Marcus Gabriel, editor at Dune News Net. You can find me writing at Dune News Net. You can find me on, on Twitter at Marcus's Writing. And yeah, as others mentioned, uh, assuming that the, the movie does does come out in a, in a couple of months, you'll be seeing a whole lot of uh, episodes for us in the com coming weeks. So uh, until then, take care. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops.
Stay tuned to doomnewsnet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.